0: Welcome to Mind, Muscle, and Metabolism, the Jade Tita Podcast. Here you get the in-depth science and practical tools needed to change your body, optimize your health, and elevate your mindset. I'm Dr. Jade Tita, and here is what I want you to know. You are different. You are as unique on the inside chemically as you are on the outside physically. And those differences matter. They matter because there is only one rule to achieving optimal health fitness and body change that rule do what works for you my goal is to help you understand exactly how i'm so excited you're here your transformation starts right now Okay, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about constipation. And you might get a little giggle out of that and say, why are we covering constipation? Well, it is a hugely important topic. And in this podcast, I'm going to be covering an awful lot about the digestive tract, a.k.a. the gut. uh, Because, as we often talk about in this podcast, metabolism, the command and control center of the metabolism, is the brain, But the five-star general of the metabolism is the gut. And so one of the things that I wanted to, to begin to cover is give you some of the natural medicine background. And I thought this would be a really good place to start, partly because people always ask me these questions. And what happens is they'll say things like, hey, Jade, I just started a primal diet or a paleo diet or a keto diet, and I'm having digestive upset and or I'm having constipation so constipation comes up a lot for people especially when they are adopting some of these higher protein higher fat type diets And oftentimes people think, oh, you just need to add more fiber, and that's part of it, but you need to understand way more about the gut. And so actually, the topic of constipation is a really good topic to introduce basic gut function. So let's talk about gut function really quickly. Now, when I say the gut, that is synonymous with the digestive tract. And when I say the digestive tract, that is basically from your mouth all the way down to your anus, basically a hollow tube that basically goes all the way through your body. So it's really interesting. We tend to think when we eat food that we are putting food into our bodies when really the truth of the matter is that is still outside of our body. It's not until we absorb that food that it goes inside our body. So really, you can think of the food we eat travels down a hollow tube that is outside of our body. And this is hugely important because what we put in and all the bacteria that live in our gut determine a lot about metabolic function. And so the five-star general of our metabolism, the gut or the digestive system, is responsible for a huge amount of things and translation and hormone production and bacterial management and immune system function and all of the rest. And so we call it the neuroendocrine immune system. We use that term so that we can understand that science has long since moved past the idea that we have separate organ systems that work independently of one another. We now know that all of our systems work in concert. In fact, we really, uh, they speak to one another and translate information for one another and produce compounds for one another. And are constantly speaking. And so really this idea that there's a nervous system that does not interact with the endocrine system, that does not interact with the immune system, is false. It's all of the same thing. Now, when I say neuro, that means nervous system, brain, spinal cord, nerves that integrate or innervate all of our tissues and organs. When I say endocrine, this just basically means a hormone-secreting organ. The endocrine system is the hormonal system. And when I say immune, that is basically all of the immune reactions in the body, the immune system made up of the spleen, made up of T cells and B cells and inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines. All the things that we need to fight off infection and injury reside at the level of the immune system. Well, the gut, the digestive tract, is the seat of the neuroendocrine immune system. It is the second brain, we oftentimes call it, because after the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, there's more nervous system innervation than anywhere else. It is a huge endocrine organ. Not only is it producing and sending hormones all around the body, but it's also responding To uh, hormones that are being produced other places in the body. And it also is a place where we have a huge, perhaps the most of our immune system resides at the level of the gut. They call it GALT, gut associated lymphoid tissue. And there's a huge amount of activity going on at the level of the digestive tract. And all this will become important uh, as we talk more about the digestive system and the neuroendocrine immune system in this podcast. But certainly it's important for constipation and constipation will help us understand this a little bit. So let's first go through what typically happens in the normal digestive function. As soon as you take food and put it in your mouth, even before you eat the food, actually, the smell, the sight of it, you'll start getting some salivary responses and some anticipatory responses from the body, Um, perhaps even um, priming the body for Digestion and absorption of what is to come. Once you put this food in your mouth uh, and start to chew it, this begins the digestive process. And so the chewing process actually starts to release digestive enzymes right away, primarily amylase, which can break down starch. That food then goes down the esophagus into the stomach and in the stomach what we have is a number of things begin to happen we have some proteolytic enzymes and most specifically hydrochloric acid begins to go to work um, being secreted in the stomach to break down uh, protein components uh, but also acts as sort of a first line of defense to kill uh, fungus and bacteria and viruses and things like that so the stomach is a very acidic uh, area and produces this hydrochloric acid. And then that hydrochloric acid passes from the stomach into the upper small intestines, the duodenum. And the degree of acidity, that that chyme that's what we call the chyme we call the bolus of food that is produced from this digestive slurry from chewing and then digesting in the stomach we call this chyme chyme then moves into the small intestines and this chyme has uh, a very should have a more acid sort of uh it's it is more acid for the body and so the duodenum reads that acidity that pH and that then triggers some of the release of other digestive enzymes. Uh, for example, if you ate fat, you might begin to secrete some bile. If you ate a lot of protein and carbohydrates, you'll begin to release other digestive enzymes from the, that come from the pancreas, things like... Uh, amylase, which digests starch, protease, which digests protein, including chymotrypsin and trypsin, which break down protein, lipase, which breaks down fat. And all of these basically start to go to work on this liquid slurry chyme of food to begin breaking it down. Starch gets broken down into... saccharides monodisaccharides oligosaccharides, saccharides fat gets broken down into fatty acids uh, protein gets broken down into amino acids or smaller proteins and then that amount of food that type of food or those those breakdown products then can start to be absorbed in through the lining of the digestive tract so that they go from outside our body inside of our body and other things are happening at this point they're actually cells we call them L and K cells lining the digestive tract. And you can kind of think of them like they are either feeling and or tasting the food. So when you eat something like oatmeal and you have that sticky viscous fiber, or you eat certain types of amino acids, these L and K cells have these finger-like projections that essentially taste the food or feel for food in the Digestive tract, and then secrete things like GIP and GLP one; these incretin compounds that feed back to the pancreas to tell the pancreas, "Hey, we might need more digestive enzymes," or feedback to the brain to say, "Hey, we've got a lot of protein here; you can stop eating." And send a lot of signals around the body. If all goes well, this stuff gets digested very nicely, and uh, we can get great absorption of our food. And then, as we get down into the small, the small, the lower small intestine and the colon. The any undigested food begins to uh, go and interact with bacteria that are normally further down in the digestive tract. And these bacteria can use some of these calories and food for their own growth leaving less for our body, which would be a good thing. They make us more inefficient at metabolism. You can imagine them being like an annoying friend that steals a french fry off your plate. This is why having the right bacteria can actually aid us in our weight loss efforts uh, because they can have a profound effect in decreasing the amount of calories we absorb because some of these bacteria will use them first. Also, these bacteria will begin to secrete healthy compounds and potentially unhealthy compounds. But if we stick to the healthy version here, sometimes they will make vitamins, uh, one and different compounds that help the lining of the digestive tract, butyrate being one of them, uh, that these bacteria can create butyrate, which is a fuel for the digestive tract lining, uh, the lining of the digestive tract. We call these the enterocytes, the cells that line the digestive system. And then if all goes as planned, The nervous system is working throughout this whole time, creating what we call peristalsis, which is this nice rhythmic snake-like movement that sort of pushes food along, down, and out. And then we go to the bathroom, and that is the end of the situation or the end of the process, rather. Now, one thing I'll say here, by the way, because this is so funny, it still comes up sometimes. People say, oh, if you take vitamins and minerals and things like that, they're just you're just peeing them out, and so you, you don't actually get any benefit. One thing you need to know is that while the anus is directly connected to the mouth and there is a tube that goes from mouth to anus, there is no tube that goes from mouth to To urethra, meaning that you don't, if you're peeing something out, it had to have gotten absorbed. It got absorbed into your body and was metabolized. You don't have a direct connection from your mouth to your urethra and your urine. And so if you hear someone say, oh, that's just making expensive urine and you're not even absorbing it or anything like that, that is actually not the case because that means it was metabolized. So you are doing something with it if you're beginning to pee something out. So if, as you can see, there's this coordinated process that goes on. By the way, when you taste something uh, like coffee or bitter or greens – Um, bitter compounds, one of the things that that does is some of those can stimulate peristalsis. Remember, you look at food, you eat food, you not only stimulate all the digestive secretions and all this endocrine function, but you also stimulate peristalsis right from the beginning. This is why uh, coffee can help people uh, have bowel movements. A lot of times people will eat uh, or drink bitter compounds and end up having a bowel movement a short time after. And this is because these bitter compounds stimulate this peristalsis or pushing food down the alimentary canal or the digestive system or the, the gut. And so this is really important, all this neuroendocrine immune function. Now, the immune system is at play here, obviously, because if you're eating food, you're also eating bacteria, viruses and funguses and th- and molds and things like that. And so the immune system is very hypervigilant at this point. So one of the things you may be curious to know is that if you don't eat food, if you fast, you can raise cortisol levels, which is a hormone that helps the suppress immune function. It's anti-inflammatory. And also cortisol helps to burn some fat acutely. If there's chronic high levels of cortisol, that can actually help you store fat. But acute uh, levels of cortisol, as are released in exercise, and short-duration fasting can be beneficial for fat burning and also are beneficial for uh, creating an anti-inflammatory response in the body. Cortisol, that's why prednisone, which is you know sort of the uh, a corticosteroid that you, your doctor might give you, these are anti-inflammatory. Uh, one of the things that you'll see is that if you fast, cortisol levels will go up to help you break down fat and protein for fuel since you didn't eat it. But if you eat, you also will release cortisol because it's being released as an anti-inflammatory in that, in that sense. So, you know, every time you eat, you'll release a little bit of cortisol. So just thought some people would be interested in that as well. And every time you don't eat, you'll uh, release a little bit of cortisol. And obviously, this podcast, I like to give you some advanced understanding of, of, of hormones. And this is because when you do eat, cortisol is being released as an anti-inflammatory to sort of help Uh, mitigate some of the negative consequences of some of these foreign compounds coming into the body. And if you don't eat, cortisol is being released to help get fuel off of your body, fat and protein, because you didn't eat anything. And this is usually not a problem at all. It's normal. It's beneficial in this regard. Cortisol doesn't usually become a problem unless it is high for long periods of time chronically quick break want to tell you about a resource you are definitely going to want to check out i know not all of you are metabolic experts you're not scientists you're not biochemists you don't necessarily know about hormones and endocrinology so i created a free program for you metabolism school to help you understand this stuff in more detail if you would like the free course you can go to drjade.com slash metabolism school drjade.com slash metabolism school get the free metabolism school resource it'll teach you everything you need to know in depth and really get you caught up on the science thanks so much guys back to the podcast and so now you have an understanding of what 's going on, so how do we deal with constipation in this? Well, a lot of times people say, "Well, just eat fiber. What would fiber do? Well, fiber creates uh, a lot of times people think it creates bulk, almost like this sandpaper effect that sort of grabs hold of things and pushes things along and that absolutely can be the case they're soluble and insoluble fibers, and they will sort of push things along. but this is a very elementary or simple way of looking at constipation and even though we're kind of focusing on constipation, you can see that I'm really uh, using constipation as an example to help you understand gut function in general. But when it comes to constipation, you can really think of the six F's. I always like to teach in frameworks, and this is a framework I came up with to help you understand how to deal with constipation. And by the way, this could be a framework that may help you deal with uh, even loose stools or irritable bowel syndrome, which for some people means loose stools at times and uh, constipation at other times. But we'll cover IBS maybe in a future episode. But the six Fs of constipation, There are basically three different nutritional compounds, and then three different lifestyle things you can do. So fiber, fat, fluid, flow, fire, and flora. These are the six. Fiber, fat, fluid, flow, fire, and flora. So let's cover these in detail. Fiber, is just what you know fiber is it's the stuff in oatmeal it's the stuff in broccoli it's the stuff in cauliflower it's the stuff in green leafies it's the stuff in whole grains One of the things I'll say about fiber, right, is that fiber is fantastic, but when you're trying to lose fat, you probably want your fiber to come in non-starchy sources. A lot of times people say, oh, I want whole grains because they're high in fiber, and they are probably one of the highest sources of fiber, but they also come along with three times to four times more starch versus versus vegetables, which have fiber, in a one-to-one ratio, normally with starch. And so what you want is high fiber foods that are also low in starch. And these are gonna be the green leafy vegetables. Some of the best fibers are the soluble fibers when it comes to blood sugar regulation, but some of the best fibers for uh, helping with constipation and bowel movements is the insoluble fibers, sort of the celluloses and the, the things that you don't digest that come from uh, some of these from what we would might term roughage, right uh, you know these lots of these vegetables and things like that, so fiber obviously has this effect where it 's pushing things along the digestive tract. most the average American gets less than thirty grams of fiber per day. Uh, we really want to get thirty grams up to one hundred grams of fiber per day, so if you 're someone who 's dealing with constipation and you 're wondering how much fiber you 're getting, you really want way more fiber. In your diet, preferably coming from vegetables. Uh, one of the things I used to do in clinic is do three day diet recalls on people who are eating a standard American diet dealing with constipation. And it would be pretty easy to deal with by just telling them to have one big salad a day and two pieces of fruit a day. And that tends to get them not to that 30-gram mark, which is a lot more fiber than they typically would get. And so shoot for 30 to 100 grams. One thing I'll say here, especially if you're using fiber supplements, always start your fiber intake very slowly. Start slowly. One of the things you need to know about fiber is that fiber— can either bind you up if it comes along without water or it can really aid... constipation if it comes along with water. And so when you think fiber, think water. And when you think fiber, think starting slowly. If you start too fast, if you guys all try to eat 100 grams of fiber a day starting tomorrow, you're going to have some serious digestive upset. And you're going to be like, I can't believe Jade told me to do this. This is miserable. Fiber can cause a lot of gas and bloating if it's added in too fast. So add it in more slowly. By the way, if you're someone who does get a lot of gas and bloating with fiber, that probably tells you you have some uh, gut Dysbiosis issues, meaning uh, you are having uh, the wrong types and perhaps bad types of probiotics uh, you know in your body bacteria in your body, or maybe you have a sensitivity to uh, certain fiber types, which some people uh, can. We call these fod maps, uh, and i won 't go into that. Uh, Right now, but yes, some people can have some issues with fiber. But fiber is a big one, and then fluid obviously is a huge one as well. Fluid along with fiber is best. You really do not want fiber without fluid. As a matter of fact, we use fiber without fluid with people who have diarrhea. We can use you know um, lots of fiber without fluid so adding a bunch of fiber in without the water can become an issue for people another thing that's really interesting is fat a lot of times people don't think about oh and by the way when it comes to fluid you might say well jade what kinds of fluid water water is wonderful and you really want to start with one liter to four liters per day so that's a quarter gallon up to a gallon of water clean water per day right? So it's very, very helpful there. Now, fat is another one here that is really interesting. And fat, a lot of people don't think about fat as it pertains to constipation, but fat is a wonderful aid to constipation. And so typically adding in, you know, a tablespoon or two of olive oil and lemon, which actually makes a really nice dressing. So think about it. You take a big salad, greens, use a healthy amount of olive oil and vinegar or lemon, And the two together can really do a a great job of helping the body eliminate. And so this is why salads become huge, not just because of the uh, vegetable intake and the insoluble fibers that you're getting, but also the fat and lemon and vinegar together can kind of come in. And, you know, when we think about fat loss as well, this is the best way to take in your carbohydrates and your fat anyway. Fat should almost be like a carrier, or I'm sorry, your vegetables should almost be like a carrier for your fat. So for those of you who are on these keto diets and things like that, you really want to think about that, that, you know, you don't want to just be doing bacon and eggs all the time. You want to be doing olive oils and coconut oils and good quality dressings and things like that and butter on top of vegetables. Uh, this is going to be the best way to get your fat in and ensure you're getting good quality uh, vitamins and minerals and folate and things like that so now we got fiber fat and fluid and now we're going to go into flow. So what's flow? That is walking. Uh, walking is huge. So the, you know not only does walking jostle around the internal organs, including the digestive tract, helping sort of move things along, uh, but walking also really balances the nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system is the parasympathetic and sympathetic. The sympathetic is the fight and flight and freeze response, very active. And the parasympathetic is very uh, Sort of relaxed. It is the rest and digest side. The more turned on the sympathetic nervous system is, is the less turned on the parasympathetic nervous system is. You can't be in both at the same time. You're either in one or the other. Walking balances this out. So when we talk about the neuroendocrine immune system, walking is great because walking can balance and uh, out the nervous system. Also uh, balances out. Uh, cortisol and things like that as well. So it can have a profound effect. So you want to walk, walk, walk 10,000 steps per day. So if you're constipated and you're taking in and you're saying, I'm doing everything, I've done everything that doesn't work. And you're taking in 30 grams or less of fiber. You're not taking in any good quality fats. You're not drinking water and you're not walking 10,000 steps per day. I would say you're not doing what you need to Now, what about fire? A lot of times people don't know. So when I talk about fire, I'm talking about digestive fire. These would be bitter compounds and digestive enzymes, things like taking a digestive enzyme that contains hydrochloric acid, Protease, amylase, lipase, trypsin, chymotrypsin, all of these things can be highly beneficial. One of the reasons why you may be dealing with constipation and gas and bloating and all that kind of stuff is because you are not digesting your food appropriately. And remember, I told you that chyme needs a proper pH, a acidic pH for it to stimulate all the things that come next. And so this is a very stepwise process. Starts in the mouth, goes in the stomach, release hydrochloric acid, get the acidic pH, goes into the duodenum, stimulates peristalsis and all these pancreatic enzymes. So if you are not able to do this, if if you have low HCL production or low pancreatic enzyme secretion, you will potentially end up shutting down peristalsis and ending up with uh, a... Uh, digestive system that is very sluggish and so adding a digestive enzyme in adding also things like bitter compounds green leafy vegetables coffees things like that can be huge here and then finally is flora the good quality uh, bacteria in our digestive tract do an awful lot to help our digestive tract not just balance the nervous system to keep this peristalsis going but to, to secrete Uh, the mucus uh, formation and uh, making sure we're getting uh, the system responding appropriately, the nervous system, the endocrine system, and the immune system in the digestive tract so that the body can eliminate. And so what would I recommend there? Well, this is something we'll talk again and again about on this podcast, but it's a very complex topic. The science is all very new, and so there's not much we can say in terms of types all we can say right now is that a good idea is to do your best to get in fermented food. So those of you who, are like, who like sauerkraut or kombucha or yogurts or things like that, you want to make sure you get those things in. Blue cheese is actually one that uh, recently there was some studies showing that blue cheese uh, can have positive benefits because of its bacteria. So cheeses are not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes we think some people say they might cause constipation, but we want things that are getting good quality bacteria into our system. Uh, Those will be very, very helpful here. And so those are the six Fs. Fiber, fat, fluid, flow, fire, and flora. And by the way, flora is pretty easy now because you can go to any health food store and get a good quality digestive enzyme, or I'm sorry, a good quality probiotic. Now, when it comes to probiotics, you really want one that has a lot, billions and billions of of live organisms organisms in there and you also want one that is diverse so the ones that I like currently over-the-counter is uh, homeostatic soil organisms HSO's uh, a company by called Garden for Life has a very good product that does that but the truth of the matter is you just want to make sure you're getting these things in and when you look at the label the more that you see the more different species uh, that you see on the label uh, you'll see things like lactobacillus acidophilus or bifidus cultures, and you'll see all these different names, L-acidophilus, l gassari, L-Rudieri. You want as many of those things as you can. You also want live organisms, uh, billions of cultures. So you just want to make sure you get a good diverse and also uh, make sure that you are uh, taking in plenty of fermented foods as well. Okay, guys, so I've been rambling around a little bit, and let me just uh, see. Yep, I'm going to stop right there. I'm about 25 minutes. Uh, I wanted to do this one so that some of the people who are asking about it, and also I just think it's a great way to get an introduction into digestive uh, function. One final thing I'll mention because, you know, obviously if you do all these, which are very lifestyle oriented and nutritional oriented things, you're going to probably solve 90% of the constipation issues in yourself or your clients if you're a professional. Uh, but on occasion, there are two other things that are very common. One uh, is iron. Iron supplementation, especially in women with anemia, can cause constipation. And uh, so you want might want to be looking at Do these people, or are you supplementing with iron if you have anemia? And could that be causing the constipation? Then the other thing is two very easy things that can help. Well, actually, I'll give you three. If you're going to use natural compounds first before you go to the laxatives, and that includes the harsh herbals and things like that, there's three that can be really easy for you to potentially use magnesium is wonderful. So uh, magnesium comes in different forms, magnesium glycinate or glycinate, magnesium citrate, magnesium malate. By the way, whenever you see or hear a mineral and then you hear uh, something like aspartate or citrate or something like that, these are just organic acids. They call them chelates. Chelate is, I believe, the Greek word for claw. Um, And what they're essentially saying is that the magnesium molecule is grabbed onto by another compound like citric acid. And this allows the magnesium to be absorbed better. Well, magnesium is one of these compounds that can pull water into the digestive tract. And um, so certain types of magnesium are digested more slowly. For example, magnesium sulfate Uh, Epsom salts, magnesium oxide, magnesium sulfate—these are not absorbed as well and can be used as laxatives. But the more gentle forms, the citrate, the malate, the glycinate, glycinate, are more readily absorbed, so they won't cause a whole lot of digestive upset. But if you slowly ramp them up in milligram doses, you can get a nice gentle laxative effect. So you might want to start with 300 milligrams of magnesium glycinate or glycinate, depending how you pronounce it, citrate or malate, and then slowly bump up. 200 milligrams, 100 milligrams at a time until you start getting the stools becoming softer and passing more easily. Vitamin C is another one that you can use that way. You can start with 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, then titrate up very gently, go to 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, right around that 2 to 5,000 vitamin C mark, you'll start getting a nice um, relaxing uh, laxative effect. If you go very high, like 20 grams or something like that, you're going to get a you know, uh, very strong laxative effect. Then another one is xylitol. Xylitol is a compound we make in our body every single day. It's a sugar alcohol, and it is um, one that can cause a little bit of uh, hyperosmotic, pull water into the digestive tract and aid in uh, releasing The bowels as well. So those are all great things to kind of keep in mind. Watching your iron intake, using magnesium and vitamin C in a titrated dose, and adding xylitol as a sweetener uh, into your diet can all be very beneficial. Okay, guys, I hope that's helpful for you. A lot of information. I know that was basically a PhD level course probably in digestion and also some really good take-homes, I hope, for constipation. See you at the next podcast.